Hello and welcome to Beyond Markets by Julius Baer, a series featuring conversations with experts to share recent market developments, key insights and strategic inputs from around the globe. Greetings, ladies and gentlemen. Today is Tuesday, the 7th of March. I'm Mark Matthews, Head of Research Asia at Bank Julius Baer, and welcome to our weekly Beyond Markets podcast. There was a nice bounce in the S&P 500 index last week. It rose 2%, and it managed to eke out another tiny gain last night. One reason is probably simply because it was down three weeks in a row before that, but maybe also what helped is that the bellwether 10-year Treasury yield fell back below the psychologically significant 4% level that it tried to stay above on Wednesday and Thursday last week, but on Friday it gave it up. You kind of get the feeling that at the long end, Treasuries that run five years and beyond, the yield has gone up enough already and is running out of gas. Even though inflation is high, even if the Fed raises rates a couple more times, long bond yields might be peaking out because the higher rates go, the more the economy is going to slow down. The next few weeks have quite a bit of what's called event risk. Fed Chairman Jay Powell is testifying before Congress today. Non-farm payrolls for February are coming out on Friday. And then next Tuesday, the February Consumer Price Inflation Report will be announced. The Federal Reserve's Market Assessment Board will meet on Wednesday, the week after that. They're all very important, but probably the most important one is the February Consumer Price Inflation Report that comes out next Tuesday. The consensus among economists looks for 6% year-on-year. Unfortunately, according to the Cleveland Federal Reserve Center for Inflation Research that agglomerates high-frequency data to produce a real-time estimate of inflation, the actual number will be 6.2%. But then in March, the good news is that the Cleveland Federal Reserve looks for an inflation reading of just 5.4%. And if that's true, it would take it to below the 6% level for the first time since September 2021. There are some reasons to be hopeful for March and beyond. The big shocker in the United States has been on the consumer side. In January, consumption, excluding energy, rose at its highest pace ever except during the multi-million dollar stimulus binge of the pandemic. But curiously, in January as well, energy consumption collapsed. What some economists think is that that rise in non-energy consumption and that collapse in energy consumption were due to abnormally warm weather. The bad news is the weather was also abnormally warm in February, so February consumer data is probably going to be strong. But by March, the weather starts to get warm even in normal years because spring's coming, so the data should normalize. And meanwhile, we can see some other helpful signs on the horizon. First, there's the very important gasoline price. Important because 8 out of 10 adult Americans drive to get to where they need to go, in their own cars. Last year, the big rise in gasoline prices happened in March, because that was right after Russia invaded Ukraine. But today's gasoline price is lower than it was this time last year, and barring a spike in the price, we see no reason why there should be one, it's going to be much lower than last year's price for the rest of this year. There's also what's happening in the property market that's an inevitable help. It's just very delayed because of the way it's measured in the inflation basket, but we know that it's coming because with higher mortgage rates, the average home's monthly mortgage payment has risen a lot, 
Around this time last year, it was $1,800. It spiked up to about $2,500 last summer, and it's held there since then. So according to the property agency Redfin, last year, only 20% of the homes for sale were purchasable by the average household living in the same area for less than a third of that household's income. But according to the 2836 rule, the most widely followed household budget rule, a household shouldn't spend more than 28% of its monthly income on housing expenses. That means for most people, at least for people who are borrowing to buy their homes, homes are unaffordable. And that means they'll either have to buy smaller ones or cheaper ones. So we should have some confidence in the Cleveland Federal Reserve's inflation forecast for 5.4% in March. It's also worth pointing out, given the hot labor market has been a particular concern for the Fed, that even in the sectors where jobs are the most in demand, like the medical sectors and engineering, job openings peaked in January and they've been slowing since then. And in other sectors that have been very hot, like hospitality and IT, Job openings actually peaked last summer and are down about 20% since then. If we turn to the market, most people are calling it a range-bound or choppy market, and that does seem to be the case because the S&P's been in a big fat range of between 3,600 and 4,200 since June. It's all a bit dull, but dull is all you need if the general trend is up, which this one is. And underneath the surface, what technical analysts refer to as the market's internals have been improving. Back in October, when the S&P bottomed, only 15% of its member companies' shares were trading above their 200-day moving averages. Today, 65% are. That means the majority of stocks in the S&P have positive upward momentum. And that means the market has good breadth. When participation is widespread, the rise in an index is strong and sustainable. Let me say a final word on China. The Chinese market today is the strangest I've ever seen. To start with, the geopolitics are terrible. In the United States Congress, hearings on the dangers that China poses are being held with complete bipartisan support. They're almost surely going to lead to more bans on investment in China, very possibly eventually bans not just on direct investment in technology, but even in portfolio investment too. The Fox News Channel has been running its China stories with banners that read Red Threat Rising and China Menace, like something out of Senator Joe McCarthy's Red Scare campaign in the 1940s and 50s. Last week, I met a professor who studied under the renowned China historian John King Fairbank. He's had a 50-year career studying China, and he told me the mood is so toxic toward China and America these days that people won't even come to visit him at his house. That's how bad it's gotten. It's bad, bad, very bad. And then there's the growth angle in China, which also is bad. Bloomberg ran a story last week based on data from China's National Statistics Bureau that showed the number of working people in China declined by more than 41 million in the last three years. That's more than the entire workforce of Germany because the number of working age people is falling as older people retire. In fact, by 2050, the number of working-age people in China is forecast to be 25% less than what it is today. It's a repeat of Japan, but worse. Well, geopolitics, aging population, these are legitimate concerns for the long term, which is why India's our long-term investment bet in Asia. 
But so far in 2023, you may have noticed the Hong Kong stock market is up 5% and the Indian stock market's down 1%. And the Hong Kong stock market probably will end up doing much better than India for all of 2023. Because yes, China has these long-term issues, it's true. But they're not the important issues for this year. Geopolitics, well, there's a saying in markets, geopolitics doesn't matter until it's the only thing that matters. So it can grab a lot of headlines, but it's not going to set the direction for the stock market unless there's a war. And we don't think there's going to be a war this year. And then, yes, the demographics are bad, but that's not nearly as important in the here and now, as is the fact that the Chinese economy is experiencing a V-shaped recovery. The forward-looking new orders sub-indices for both the manufacturing and services purchasing managers indices in China rebounded very strongly in February to 54% and 56% respectively. Those are very punchy numbers. And it should be pointed out that Li Qiang, the incoming prime minister, is pro-business. Well, you could have said that Li Keqiang, the outgoing prime minister, was pro-business. That didn't stop Xi Jinping from replacing the private sector with the public sector as the driver of the Chinese economy. The difference is, according to political analysts, that Li Keqiang was also in the running for the job of president back in 2012. So he was always kind of viewed as a rival. Whereas Li Qiang, the incoming prime minister, is actually very close to Xi because he was Xi's right-hand man in Zhejiang province in the 2000s. And what we're learning, Reuters wrote about it over the weekend, is Li Qiang was the prime originator of the complete removal of zero COVID last December. So if he was able to convince Xi to do that, maybe he can convince him to do other things too. You may say, well, who's going to buy Chinese stocks? So many foreign investors think that with the geopolitics this hot, it's too hot a potato to touch. That doesn't matter when there are 1.4 billion Chinese who are interested in buying them. Well, maybe not the entire population, but tens of millions of Chinese citizens who might not view equities as investments for their retirement, but they have a history of trading equities, their momentum followers, their policy followers, and right now both momentum and policy are positive. And because of their limited spending during the pandemic, Chinese households have huge excess savings. In the trillions of dollars, in fact, if just a little of that goes in the stock market, it can drive it up a lot more. This is Mark Matthews signing off for now. I wish you a great week ahead, and we'll speak with you again next week. Goodbye. Get ready for the day ahead. Moving Markets is a daily market news briefing from Julius Baer's leading experts. You'll hear all about the latest ups and downs across asset classes, the underlying drivers, and our thoughts on where markets are heading. Search for Moving Markets on your favorite podcast player. You have been listening to Beyond Markets by Julius Baer. If you like what you heard, subscribe to our show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. To learn more about Julius Baer, our people, our latest thinking, visit us at www.juliusbear.com. We will be back with a brand new episode soon. The information and opinions expressed in this podcast constitute marketing material and are not the result of independent financial or investment research. Please refer to www.juliusbear.com forward slash legal forward slash podcasts for further important legal information.